Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Scratch Cinema Podcast. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Quinnell. Hello, Quinnell. Hello. Quinnell thinks the name of the new Marvel movie is so dumb. <laughs> she doesn't know how to tell my friends that I want to see it, specifically. Not you making me say it because <laughs> I didn't know what it was. This this was an ulterior motive for this tweet in particular. Okay, well, I didn't okay, know what it was. Wait, which one do you think it is? I don't know. I don't pay attention to their upcoming movies as much. So is it the like the madness one? No, they have named this movie the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Oh, you're talking about the show? Yeah, it's like they just were like, what do we call them? Oh, is it a show? It's a show, yeah. Oh, a show, not a movie. Oh, okay. A That's worse. Shows. That's worse. People are going to be saying that for way longer. Are you kidding? That's terrible. That is a terrible, terrible name. I'm. I feel like this year, the not even this year, recently, the level of just like uninspiring that corporations have shown themselves to be is just getting higher. I just like I keep being drawn to like for for example these two companies whatever have been that have been renamed because their previous names were offensive, but the new names are trash. And why? Why? I know that's not the same, but it feels the same as the fact that they just named it the heroes' names. And I said that to somebody, and they were like, "Oh yeah, well." A lot of them are just named after the heroes' names. Yeah, except when they're together, we call them the Avengers. We call it Civil War. Imagine, imagine if that movie was called Iron Man and Captain America. This is and stupid. friends. This is terrible. Anywho, yeah, I saw the trailer, and I did think it was a movie. So it's a TV show, of course. Um, I saw the trailer, now. and I was like, "Wow, that looks really cool!" And then the name came across the screen at the end, and I was like, "No." That can't be what it's called. You couldn't think of Winter Winter Falcon something else. <laughs> that something. would be weird. This is weird. <laughs> I'm just saying. I feel like they could have bounced some things around for a bit. Just come up with a wholly original name. I would have. I would have preferred Man Friends <laughs> to, <laughs> to what they went with. This is. Anywho. I'm only going to call it Man Friends from now on. <laughs> Please do. If we decide to watch it, I think we should refer to it as that exclusively. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, we're we're going to do an episode not at all related to that. It's an episode that I had suggested we do because there's a movie coming out this Friday that we'll get to at the end that has a very good actor in it by the name of Stephen Young, and he is great. And we're going to talk about all of his movies, the big ones. There are a few that he kind of did that were smaller, that he was a supporting role. I Origins, which I saw and didn't particularly care for, but he's good in it. We're also not going to talk much about The Walking Dead because it's not a good show anymore. And it kind of ended being a good show when he left. I thought he was the heart and soul of it. Pizza delivery guy with a heart of gold. He was everyone's favorite. And we don't want to talk about it. But what we are going to talk about is a bunch of his movies, which are all very different. And the first one is one that is less well-known, but I thought I liked quite a lot. It was Mayhem. And I had not seen it before, but I had seen it kind of bouncing around. What, Cornell? I, no, can't finish your intro. (laughs) (laughs) 
essentially the storyline is he, he works for this company that's like this large corporate soul-killing institution but there is this mysterious virus that basically makes everyone become violent and like not be able to control their inhibitions sexually temperament wise and then everything explodes but it's sort of a it's like a very b-movie premise where they have to make their way up the building to then get his job back but it kind of has video game boss fights yeah exactly and it kind of has an embedded critique about capitalism and kind of the soul-sucking nature of it and how everyone is like turning on each other and it's everyone against everyone and he forms this relationship with this other woman who is there trying to advocate on behalf of people who are going to be evicted so they team up and he's good in it and he has a lot of good lines and he really hams it up he's like putting on sunglasses i i i liked it i had not seen it before it's it's a little it's 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 an acquired taste. I don't think everyone will like it. Like the gore is like not too bad compared to what these types of movies can be, but for some people that would be too much. But I still enjoyed it. What what was the face you were making? I cannot believe you enjoyed Mayhem. Really? Why? <laughs> um I think this movie is terrible. Why do you think it is terrible? But Okay, I think the premise of this movie is, oh my god, I hate that I have to say this and it's going to be recorded and people are going to hear me say this and know that I feel this way. Listen, I hate Quentin Tarantino. You think this is like Quentin Tarantino movie? No, I think this is a movie that would benefit from Quentin Tarantino's (laughs) direction. I hate that. I hate that as but a then fact. You wouldn't, as an but idea. then you wouldn't like it anymore. You would probably like it no, less. No, no. I think this is okay. So you have this premise that is about these lawyers, a lot of them assholes. He himself, kind of also an asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are telling me that all of these people in this giant corporate law firm lose mm-hmm. all of their inhibitions mm-hmm. and everything is just like the gore is magnificent really love the creative ways they found of kicking people's asses <laughs> it was it was mm-hmm. disgustingly violent mm-hmm. loved that for, for it but that was it mm-hmm. it was like they give you this idea oh nobody can resist anything sexually they have no inhibitions blah 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 and then you give me this pg version where yeah. it's all of the things that you could have done because it just would be so fucked up for them to be doing any of those things you just didn't do it at all and it just seemed like the premise was great but the delivery seemed lackluster because it's missing all of these elements and then you have our two main characters really our one main character and the girl who would be played by margot robbie but it's smart weaving who i think is really good she's fantastic i'm saying she does look a lot like margot robbie (laughs) Um, which continued to give me tarantino vibes but anyway and also she doesn't have a lot of lines she's like not really a speaking character she's like a a outline of a backstory mm-hmm. and then you know she kicks ass and that also seems like something kind of one-dimensional that quentin would do um mm-hmm. and they don't fuck till half the movie halfway through right when it's i'm their experiencing low sexual tension for the duration <laughs> there should not be so much tension that is no, that's the way it has to work you have to be building up to it if it just happened right away it might he... be true to the plot if it just happened right away. <laughs> it might be too accurate for what's supposed to be going on. Like, I just felt like the the performances were great. But, like, if you're going to do this and create a premise that is this raunchy and ridiculous, then, then do really it. Really lean into it, yeah. yeah I don't... hear you. It 
it was probably the least favorite of all the ones that we were watching, but I still appreciated it for what it was. And that yeah, I liked the, the premise. I thought it was fun. The premise was good, and I thought they really were getting into it. And I, I think that's what I like about him as an actor is that he's very versatile. Because, like, in, not to go back to it, but The Walking Dead, he was, like, the moral center likable guy. And he still is in this, but he's also sold his soul in many ways. I definitely feel like as we progress, the movies get a lot better. And this is the biggest, the biggest jump quality wise for me his performance was great I also I think everybody's performance was great but they really hammed it up in a way that reminded me of like classic b-list movies with Mm -hmm. just that are usually like buddy buddy movies buddy Mm -hmm. comedies it had Mm -hmm. like oh we're gonna make it hyper violent but it's hard it's got that level of quality and interaction but I do, I do like the commentary that they were making. I just felt like it wasn't always executed perfectly well, and like it sometimes was secondary to the the like spectacle of it in some ways. Because I almost a little bit of a spoiler. There's a moment midway through where it seems like he betrays her, and I thought that was going to be serious. I thought this is really going to happen. But no, that kind of would have, I think, been a little too serious. It would have been too dark of a story. And they kind of still had to keep it light and fun, if that makes sense. Sad, because I felt like at that moment, I was like, whoa, this just got really interesting. And then he kissed her. And before he even got to the elevator, I was like, ah, come on, that quickly? What is it? Is it a razor blade? What is it? And it was just almost, it was almost believable but Mm -hmm. not quite. And we don't have to talk about it for too much. And I didn't particularly want to either. It was, it was, it was light and fun for most of it. I liked that you liked it and you liked it because it was fun. Because I feel that (laughs) a lot of the time. So. Because now we're going to shift to one that is fun, but also I think a little bit more serious. And that is Okja, uh, Bong Joon-ho's 2017 Netflix film which everyone kind of makes the joke that directors will go to Netflix to make their least good movie. And I can kind of see how people say that, but I also still have liked this movie more than most people. Um, but what did what did you think of it? Because you had seen it before. I had. I saw it right when it came out on Netflix mm-hmm. um, a few years ago, and then I rewatched it. And I really love this movie. I'm not going to be able to eat meat for like at least six months. Um, here's the thing and I won't get too much into it I don't think it's about eating meat because there's the opening scene where she is eating fish that she has gotten by collaborating with her pig friend and Mm -hmm. hunting together it is about factory farming and that there's no other way for me to to, to eat meat (laughs) just go out into the creek (laughs) that's Okay, I mean, yes. actually, I could I could get fish. My mom does this weird thing where she like, not weird. It's not weird. My mom does this cool thing where she buys a bunch of fish through like a weird fisherman website. Mm-hmm. I keep saying weird. Anyway, they drop off this huge box of fish every month. Other than that, um, all the meat that I eat is for sure factory farm. I don't want to get too much into meat eating because that's not really the point. And I really like other elements of this movie, but. Mm-hmm. It definitely felt like it was speaking pretty directly to the way that we consume meat mm-hmm. here. And 
it was completely accurate in that way because you sort of have this story that's about you know it's about a girl and her pet and she's just trying to get them back at, at one point so it's sort of also like this this homeward bound story but <laughs> on the other hand it it talks about how comfortable everybody is with the concept when it's not something you're that's related to you it's very much like oh we're gonna make this meat very subjective down to every possible thing they could do this is going to be a creature that can fully intelligently communicate <laughs> like clearly an emotional creature this is the family dog of of livestock <laughs> and mm. at the end when sorry spoiler alert she she rescues okja but she can only rescue okja and that's really what she came for anyway mm -hmm. that was her pet that's the sorry to the rest of you guys and she takes this baby along with her in this sweet moment where you know previously you think that oh that even even their reproduction is just purely forced and that's not even the case because you have a whole little super pig couple giving them their baby so that the kid could grow up to be free and it is so sad mm -hmm. and it's just and the problem isn't even like they're, they're, there's this corporation and they're constantly talking about how they can make themselves marketable again mm -hmm. and the problem that they're having isn't all of the things that people are protesting it's not the animal abuse all of those things are commonplace like we already know about that it's that gmos are too new and scary mm -hmm. that that's their their big you know opponent or you know opposition to them being able to just be completely honest with their process mm -hmm. and that's so sad because you just think oh well if it was a regular animal no one would care right and i think that's the cynical doing underlying part of it and there's a very deep cynicism about corporations and like these giant huge companies do you do you pick up on the because i've seen it put side by side so maybe i have this advantage but where they first escape and it's the entire corporate boardroom that are watching the screen mm -hmm. and do you know what they're mimicking or what he mimicked when they laid them out in that boardroom it's very strange and i've kind of tried to work through why he did this besides sort of just the visual reference of a joke it side by side looks very similar to Obama and his room when they were watching the raid to kill bin Laden. Hmm. Yeah. And it's like they're having that same like one person has a hand over their mouth, like everyone the way they're framed looking at the screen. And I think it's that they're trying to say that there's some sort of equivalent to sort of this massive force that is the US government and then also the same power that is vested in these giant corporations. Hmm. And it's a silly gag, but like just seeing it, I always kind of chuckle because I'm like, wow, that's so silly and like throwaway and almost you don't notice it. It passes so quickly, but. But also it matters that you put it in there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> also, it's not easy to work those sort of comments into films anyway. Yeah. And it's like told without like calling attention to itself, just a quick throwaway mm -hmm. visual. Because the real main focus is the sort of tension between the Animal Liberation Front, which is where we get Stephen Young's character and what this might be my favorite introduction that he has in a movie because it's very silly where uh, they're driving along on one side, Oakjaw's in the back, but then they pull up next to him and he's just like half smiling and like waving their flowers. And then like his first line is just nice to meet you. We're not terrorists. And it's like the way <laughs> he delivers the line is like so perfectly funny and makes me realize, oh yeah, he definitely apparently worked in second city. Like he has very good comedic timing and delivery 
but then it like turns on a dime where they're just like perplexed and then he like gets serious and he's like no pull over <laughs> and it's like everything is so good about it and I, I kind of smile despite myself every single time because then it's about to be they like ram into them and then he also does horrible things later where he lies about the translation which there's also a translation joke embedded in there as well um that i won't ruin because i think it's funny people look it up but he lies you and should s- tell them <laughs> no, no no they gotta find it themselves Fine, i'm he, gonna find it you guys and i'm gonna tell them <laughs> what it is <laughs> he basically lies about what she says where she says she just wants to go home with him and so i think there's this embedded critique as well about like radical movements and what they do and how it very much ends up being about this idea idea that they have about themselves where it's about adventurism and achieving something very personally and feeling good about that rather than like the long-term viability and morality of what you're doing in some ways because they end up being not successful i think is the biggest thing i take away from it like i think he's very good at kind of being an arrogant character who does selfish things and then they end up failing they don't beat the corporation they're in many ways going up against something that is so monstrous that their small fight against it seems very minimal very small in comparison and that these squabbles that they have are about making themselves feel good rather than actually fixing it obviously you would want every single person to do what they could but it just seems like this is so minute in comparison to the overarching expanse of what they're fighting up against this giant Miranda corporation. And I don't know, that's, that's what gets me. And I feel like he is able to bring a lot of that to the film where he then lies about it. And it's like almost played as a joke. Like he's smarmy about it, but then he feels bad about it later when they see what happens to Okja, then he gets kicked out, but then he comes back to rescue them, but then they're all sent to prison and it's just a transferring of power between the sisters and nothing really changes. They obviously rescue Okja on the small scale, but on the big scale, they don't. And that's what was interesting to me. With the translation joke, when all, when Kay jumps into the water and he leaves and he tells me how, Miha, try learning English, it opens new doors. What he actually says is, um, Miha, also my name is Kusun Bum, which is funny apparently because it's a dumb name in Korean there's no way to trans translate it and so there's this sort of comedic moment that is really just for people who uh well speak both languages well I think what's also funny about it though is that it's the about, about the importance of the translation but that itself is important because it's a lie he's lying to us the audience at least the English speaking audience who doesn't get it which then again kind of is a joke within a joke where the yeah, joke is on us is the fact that he just lied to the English speaking character who didn't get it yes I don't know. It has layers. And I he probably knew that. Maybe he was in on the joke and helped come up with the idea. But I think he brings a lot to the movie. I almost wish he was more of a main character in some ways because he kind of disappears at one point and then has Absolutely. to come back in towards the end. But I don't know. He brings a lot of like heart, I think, to the movement that is doing it and how flawed he is. Because there's a lot of very eccentric characters and he feels more grounded. Like Jake Yellenhall's character. Oh boy, he is he is, is that all how you say his name? I think so. I think I also got this from Conan where that's how you pronounce it. Oh, wow. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to accept that. <laughs> it's his name. What do you mean? I mean this is just this might just um be one of those things like John Legend's wife. Can you elaborate on that? Sidebar. What? What, what's what's her what's her name? Chrissy Teigen. No, her name is Chrissy Teigen, but Teigen, nobody okay. was saying that, and so she stopped saying it too. 
So she just lets the entire world call her Chrissy Teigen. Well, I'll say it right now. It's Chrissy Teigen. Mm-hmm, yeah, but I I, as I said, that's just that's just going to be a hard thing to accept. Because <laughs> even though I know it's Chrissy Teigen, like it, it sounds ridiculous to so many people. <laughs> Well, that's just that. That means we've been wrong the whole time. That yeah, means fix but it. I mean, yeah, people, you know, ingrained. It's been ingrained in this to our greater society to be wrong about this. Thing. Yeah, but you can unlearn things. You can absolutely unlearn things, but it is very hard. <laughs> Never on this podcast again will I say Chrissy Teigen's name wrong. <laughs> Mark my words. Well, um, I think my favorite part of the movie just going back to objects I want to talk about. Um, I really love the value of the fact that she's not just like a regular pet owner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I would say like pet owner is a little reductive. They're very close and like friends. And that's the whole point is that they share a bond that goes deeper than that. Towards the end, when he talks to her, mm-hmm. at least the implication of that, it feels like their connection is like very, very deep. Yeah. I would say also, most people can say that's possible that's that's true um but i do think to a certain degree i don't i don't know i guess uh, what what is i would say i guess i would say that you know it it is to the level of pet owner obviously they can fully communicate so that's kind of different Mm -hmm. um but which you kind of know for the entire film she's telling people to put okja on the phone Mm -hmm. (laughs) and her main issues have been not being able to hear her on the other end of the line Mm -hmm. but um I think that it's it's interesting that she has a pet that she that is like completely free roaming, mm-hmm. um, because side by side the way that she raised this animal and the life that they were going to force her into are just complete opposites. When most pet ownership is usually you know somewhere in the middle, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's interesting to me to for those to be so totally juxtaposed and also to you know have this small new creature that you want to raise this way and you know the way that she's animated are they animated i don't know well yeah it would be special effects it's not gonna be animation like hand-drawn yeah yeah. i know i know that but the way that she's rendered even like behaves like a dog like him telling her not to or telling them not to scare the chickens and the way they sort of plop down and you know it's pretty obvious from this end that it's supposed to sort of evoke that image of your household pet Mm-hmm. And I I just thought that was an interesting way to sort of introduce that. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. And Okja is as much a character as anyone. Like you're rooting for her throughout the entire story as well. And I don't know. It it just makes it all the more painful when it's like seeing the sea of other sort of pigs that are there and being like, they can't save all of them. And all the efforts of Kay and the Animal Liberation Front is futile. It is a small victory, but in the scale of it feels very hollow. And what's interesting is there's sort of the end scene where they're all getting out of jail, but then like everyone else is on the bus and it's just they're going to like do it again. And to me, I feel like there's something more going on that, yes, it's kind of funny and like, yes, we live to fight another day, but there's not a lot of reflection where it was like, this is so much bigger than like these small scale things that we're doing. And it feels like they're very out of their depth. And I think there's an embedded sort of, not like you are wrong for trying to do something, but it's like you are going about this on such a minute level that you're missing the forest for the trees in some ways. 
And I feel like Kay's character and what Steven Yun does is really embodying that in many ways because he's willing to sacrifice and lie and do these things to get some small victory that ends up almost not being worth it. Like the pain that they put people through, like if, think about it, if they had not ever given Okja over to the Miranda Corporation, then the only thing that would have changed is there wouldn't have been the passing of power between sisters, but Okja wouldn't have been put through horrible situations. They wouldn't all have faced jail time. They do rescue the small pig, which is very precious and cute. And I think that is good, but it just is like, there's so much suffering that he is doing from sort of his own selfish perspective that I was really interested in what was going on with his character. And he, that makes him the most dynamic and interesting character in the film in many ways. Because he goes from doing this thing that is bad in pursuit of this cause, feels bad about it when he sees the consequences of it, is kicked out, but then comes back in to save and try and redeem himself. But at the end of the day, it almost just felt so, so much pain came at that one choice that he made. And he has to reckon with that. But I mean, he also decide whether or not it's, it was worth it. Because to a certain degree, the whole idea is to inspire more people. Because the more people that you can get, the more of a more progress, more visibility you can get. But I think it's interesting that there's no, there's a sort of quiet discussion about whether or not winning would just be doing what, what Mija chooses to do, Mm -hmm. which is to buy them out Mm -hmm. in her small way. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's, it's interesting that you have these two sort of opposing forces between the corporation and the, the protesters. And at the end of the day, she just, she, she's not make, she's not protesting. She just wants that part that should belong to her. And she does that by buying it. And then, you know, kind of makes you wonder whether or not that's the approach one should be taking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I feel like her sister had this whole different idea where she wanted to sort of just blend these business with business with these ethics that just didn't work together. For our next film, we were going to talk about Sorry to Bother You, the 2018 Boots Riley directorial debut who also wrote it. And off the top, even though it's not the focus of what our discussion is going to be about, Army Hammer is in this movie and what may be one of his last movies based on the the trajectory of events, which I'm not going to make any jokes about because initially it was kind of funny and absurd and strange, but now there's like more serious things that are coming out. And so we're just going to acknowledge he's in the movie. Doesn't seem like a great person. A lot of meme worthy content with some of the initial might stuff. Might be a cannibal. Don't laugh. Yes. <laughs> he might be a cannibal. <laughs> That's what I was referring to. That part. Some of the more serious stuff. No. If two consent want to he do, might be a cannibal. but it's if it's cannibal play, and like no, he might be a real people, cannibal though. Or he I might feel be a like, real cannibal. I feel like the way he uh, absconded seems like he killed somebody, which means he probably ate them. He probably did. I th- I personally think that's gonna be that funny they, until it's real. No, I think it is real. I don't think it's a, one of those situations. I think it's more of a comedy is tragedy plus time kind of situation because I think that there is a good chance that Army Hammer killed to ate somebody. The way he ran off, murder. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, I remember seeing this movie when it first came out and 
this is another movie where Mr. Stevens, but he's not. But he's not the main <laughs> character. The main character is Lakeith Stanfield, who we might mention briefly towards the end. But it's it's essentially a story about a telemarketer who becomes very successful by putting on his white voice, and that gives him this magical key to success and access to this world of riches and greed and just like decadence and i'm not going to say what the reveal is because the reveal is where it kind of threw me but it's a it's an element of like magical realism let's just it's say for that sure magical realism <laughs> i will totally tell you guys they all are right. trying to turn Spoiler. all of these people into literal workhorses yeah literally weird hybrid human horsemen workhorses mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to work in their weird little slavery camps. Mm-hmm. And it was bad enough when you thought they were just trying to get them to be slaves. It really mm-hmm. was. And because then, that was introduced early where it's like there were there was this advertisements frequently of like, you never leave. Now you don't need to worry about housing or anything. Mm-hmm. You just work all the time yeah, in like a work like, camp. Oh. And it's like, oh. Yeah, that's slavery, room and board. <laughs> that's all you get. <laughs> yikes. Big old yikes. And then you find out that they're trying to turn them into literal horses. Mm-hmm. And that's where it gets very strange, but I think there's a comedic, anarchic, kind of chaotic tone to it. And I think that's where Stephen Young has a lot of the good comedic elements. So so can Lakeith Stanfield, so can Tessa Thompson, so can Jermaine Fowler. Like, they're all very funny. Yeah, they are. It's just the tone is, like, sometimes very eccentric let's say that where it's like i've never seen a movie that kind of goes all over the place like this in a way that i think can kind of work where i i remember i saw it with a friend of the show jay when he's walking down that hallway and then he like goes back and it's revealed what's happening i just looked at jay and was like is this real is this real (laughs) and i understand the central metaphor I just think for many people, it had kind of been building to something that was a little bit more grounded, like the world was very close to ours. And so sort of that shift was a little jarring to some people and how towards the end, it becomes very comedic, like he like kicks down the door and then is like, they look like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm sorry. Absolutely, they're very big they horses. Mm-hmm. They're not <laughs> just regular horses, you guys. They're, they're weird mutant work horses. For all kinds of work, even construction. <laughs> so I'll say it was a very bold. It was a very bold transition, and it makes me want to see more of his work and potential films. But man, that was a wild transition, and I think everyone carries it off very well. It just, as a heads up, if you're listening to this and haven't seen it, I don't think I can even fully encapsulate how much of a curveball it is. And then it continues where. It just is, this is now part of it. And I admire that part of it. That's just fully committed to it. Absolutely. There are jokes, but it's like, no, this is what's happening. This now. is what is happening in our world. But I think that's that's the part that is intriguing to me. I think that's what makes it good is that it is so hard to shock people these days. <laughs> like nothing is is truly shocking. Like you you hear these terrible stories and it doesn't, move you even in the way that it's supposed to and you have sort of tessa thompson's character trying to go out of her way to to create all of this performance art to really bring light to these issues that she thinks are important and it's still not quite moving Mm -hmm. until this shocking moment where he's like well they're turning them into horses and you're like oh that could shock me and so all of the characters and you are suddenly 
actually in this moment together because mm-hmm. you've also gotten through this absurdist film where there are so many things that are mildly surprising that are cringy that are uncomfortable you go through so much of that that you really you really have a handle on what you can believe when you get to that point you know mm-hmm. the, when they say that he has a white voice on the phone it doesn't sound like his voice it doesn't sound anything like his voice no. and that's really important it doesn't sound like something that's even it's coming Pat out of Oswald and David Absolutely. Cross who do the white voices and they they but, do a real good job but you get to a point where you're like hmm well i understand what the what the common equivalent is of that like people do have a white voice or what people call their customer service voice you know a lot of people code switch that way so it's still not outside of the realm of belief and for that reason it's not shocking in the way that any sort of other abuse would be same thing with the scene where they just have him yelling the n-word where they ask him to rap and he doesn't know what to do and so he just starts yelling nigga and then people are yelling along and everything is cringy and terrible terrible but because then he's very sad after that that's his lowest point exactly and you were are shocked and then it kind of settles in and you're not anymore and it really has to take you all the way to this point of what is even possible. But if people could do it, they might. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's interesting is Lakeith Stanfield's character pays very dearly for his participation in this company, in this business. Cause he becomes a horse. He becomes a horse. And it's interesting because he's the one that sticks with it the most. And he also crosses the picket line because mm-hmm. Stephen Young's character ends up being a union organizer that he has been doing this for many different groups to try and get them better rights, better protections, all these different things. But he just doesn't care. He frequently walks by them and just ignores them. Then there's the the very funny scene about how they both smell very nice and they're like complimenting mm-hmm. each other and like increasing. I like that. that I like that they insulted somebody without turning them down. That's really funny. Yeah, it's, it's a really, really great scene. And it's it's interesting to see them kind of back and forth because then Tessa Thompson is also in the film and he becomes very suspicious that she is cheating on him with Stephen Young's character. Which she should be. <laughs> I'm just saying if she had any sense about her. <laughs> she's a protester she does all of this great art and Mm -hmm. all the things that she's protesting are the things that her boyfriend is embodying and then Mm -hmm. here on the side is this super hot union organizer she should absolutely be sleeping with that man (laughs) he gets suspicious because he's not performing well he's not doing what he's supposed to and he knows that but he's trapped in this world where he thinks this is the way to achieve a good life for both of them in some ways, which is not a fair thing to do to another person of like, oh, I did this for you. He's very much doing it for himself, but he thinks this is the right thing to do. Well, there's no evidence that he's wrong. Mm, and I he think, pays dearly for it. I think I, the movie I mean, he shows does, the cost of it. But that doesn't mean that there was another way for him. Besides, no, there I mean, wasn't. Yeah, yeah so, so it doesn't mean that he's just because the only path is the wrong one doesn't mean that he's, you know, that because that's it's, untrue. It's another movie where it's very cynical about how their their union work gets not much for them. And I think that's some obviously part of union work is that you really have to like knuckle down and do it. But in a world where there's so much corporate power and unions can be gutted and that they have this leverage over you and can totally do these things that are basically illegal but unless there's sort of a robust protection system which thankfully there largely is but in this movie it feels like there isn't 
like Stephen Young's character is definitely pushing for them to do this. And I think he's right mm -hmm. to do that. Mm -hmm. But in this world, it's like power has become so centralized. Like it reaches a little bit of absurd degrees where basically they're doing uh, calls for like weapons manufacturers. Like that's the next level. And so you really have to sell your soul to do it. And so it's, it's taken to an extreme, but it's like grounded in this, like if you achieve and are able to thrive in this world, who is it at the expense of? Is it not just yourself, but other people that you effectively are going to have to exploit to accumulate all this wealth and money? Because he gets a very nice apartment. He has all these nice suits. And it, it begins to feel like he is lost in some ways. And so in some weird ways, it's a happy ending because at least he kind of is able to see a different way, even if it comes at a cost of like his literal body. But... Mm -hmm. So I mean, it's definitely very similar to Mayhem and sort of this, mm -hmm. this theme that, like, who is the firm? No mm -hmm. one raindrop thinks they caused the flood. Mm -hmm. And just to, to being a cog, just this message of what, what it means to be a cog. There's a lot of capitalism themes and, like, class themes in, in all of what we're talking about. Yeah, it's a great segue into burning. I was going to say, there's the fantastic <laughs> film Burning from 2018, which is probably my favorite of the, the four that we're yeah, talking about. It's, it's really good. And I also saw it with friend of the show, Jay, at like 9 p.m. on a like random night at a really cool theater nearby. And it was really great experience. But then I was having to give him a ride to the airport the day after. So <laughs> might not have been a great idea, but I'm glad I saw it. And I'm glad I saw it again recently. But it was your first time seeing it. It was. What did you what did you think of it? I really loved this movie. Mm -hmm. Um I I texted you during it that um it kind of reminded me of Parasite. Obviously they're very very different movies, but there's this sort of knot that the story just puts in your stomach really slowly about this man. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's about this girl and she's from a small town and she runs into this guy that she grew up with and he doesn't seem to remember anything about her but Which it's it's i do want to chime in it might be questionable about how much they knew each other because there are certain details from her past that become a little bit muddied later but keep going I, yeah i i'm of the belief that she was telling the truth that becomes so a too. bit of a, a debate about what what is the truth in this situation but i think she was telling the truth and they knew each other when they were kids she decides she's just on this journey of self-discovery and she's going to go off to kenya and find out about this great hunger for life and she comes back with this man who's a sociopath from the jump actually mm -hmm. <laughs> one of the first things he tells him is is that he's never cried to he doesn't remember ever crying the guy's like oh okay well kind of tries to bring him back to being kind of normal he's like well you felt sadness before haven't you and he's like mm, not sure not sure it was really sadness because i didn't cry and off the bat from that moment besides the fact that this man is rich and quiet and has this sinister smile about him that should have been a turn and run situation i think he might also be lying about that to seem invulnerable in some I ways disagree um, okay. Why because do you disagree? because there are two points in the film in which he mentions times that he felt things and it only there are three times total really the first time is him saying that he never cried 
Second time is him talking about, quote unquote, burning down these greenhouses. And he says that there's this just this strong feeling in his chest. It's the only time that he speaks about having a strong emotion about anything. And the third time is, uh, for those of you guys who don't know, it's a mystery. The girl goes missing. And for a while, I thought it was a my brilliant friend situation where maybe she made herself disappear because she does talk about that in the beginning. And you come mm-hmm. to find out that maybe some of the things she said about her life are debatable. But um, third time is when he talks about being jealous. Mm-hmm. And he says that she was talking about him and said that he was the only person that she trusted. And he was like, and it made me jealous. And that's crazy. I've never felt jealousy in my life. Mm-hmm. And I really think that he's telling the truth. That yeah. he's, he's just a completely emotionally detached person. Because, that you know, they are also these scenes where he basically brings whatever girl he's found to his friends, like some sort of zoo animal. And she talks about all the things that she's seen. And they all sort of clap and laugh like she's a show and tell project. And he looks thoroughly disinterested both times that you have this scene which is like insulting even more than it is because he's brought them there to show them off and ridicule them exactly and then he doesn't even care not that i think it would make it better if he was like haha but it's like he's just so bored like he's above it all absolutely gross the whole idea is that he's building to this moment where he can burn down these greenhouses which you find is likely a euphemism for murdering these girls Mm -hmm. and it's the only time he feels anything so i really do think that he's telling the truth at the beginning where he says that he's never cried and Mm -hmm. he thinks that it's so fascinating that she that she cries and when our main character asks the girl whether or not she's thought about why this rich man is even paying attention to her she's like well he likes people like me and you sort of have this you know, time to figure out exactly what it is about her that is the thing. Is mm-hmm. that she could disappear from the face of the earth and almost nobody would miss her? Is that what it is? Or is it that she's so emotional, that she's moody, she's got she's a person who feels things so deeply. More than anybody in this film, her performance was truly amazing to me because she mm-hmm. just embodied this raw nerve of a person. Mm-hmm. And it's so strongly juxtaposed to this sociopath who murders her Mm -hmm. and steals her cat. Right. Which it it does go back and forth about whether he actually did do that. But I think your interpretation of the greenhouses are the women is an interesting one. Because basically, we never see a greenhouse get burned down. And he's very thorough about running and looking for them. Mm -hmm. And Stephen Young's character keeps saying it's very close to you. And he's like, how is that possible? I've run everywhere to look for it. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes clear that it's at least possible. And I think a very good interpretation to say by close to you, it's not a building, but a person in proximity, emotionally, socially to you. And he's so good. He's really creepy. He is so good. He's a sociopath. He embodies it. And you know, I, I feel confident that he's not that he was a murderer, and I think that the moment that really verifies that isn't just the cat, which I think is definitely supposed to be the reveal, mm-hmm. but the watch in the drawer, right? As he thinks that she's given the watch away to her friend, she's disappeared, 
there's a girl that he sees, sees who, who used to work with her. He stops and talks to her to maybe see if he can find out where she went. And she's wearing this watch. And you think for a while that maybe that's, that's still when I'm trying to decide whether or not she made herself disappear because giving away things that you gave to her would even, you know, be a step in that direction. And she also had a lot of debts that it's established that she might be running from. Exactly. And the bracelets in the drawer, because when he first goes to visit, he opens the drawer, he's snooping, Mm -hmm. classic. And I paused and rewinded so that I could see what this bracelet says. Mm-hmm. And I think it says Michaela. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting here thinking, who the fuck is Michaela? <laughs> we don't meet her. We never no, her. why is that relevant? What is going on? <laughs> because mm-hmm. you don't know he's going to murder her. No. So you, you, it's confusing, but it's clearly this plot point. So when you come back and he sees this watch, he realizes it's not a drawer of bracelets. It's a trophy case. Mm-hmm. And the guy said that he killed a woman, burned down a greenhouse, about once every two weeks. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of murdering. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of jewelry in that drawer. And I think the important thing to establish, too, is he is wealthy and is never a suspect or, like, has to worry about any repercussions for what his actions are. Like, we don't see him typically targeting, or it doesn't seem like he's targeting women or people generally to ridicule that are of the same class as him. He's very much picking people that he knows are potentially vulnerable. and Might not have anybody. I mean, I assume that the next girl that he met also didn't have anybody. Mm -hmm. And I think the most interesting relationship too is as as Stephen Young's character is doing all this and can seemingly get away with it with no repercussions, the main character, his father, is facing Mm -hmm. very serious repercussions. And I'm not like, defending it because his father is established that he likely assaulted someone but yeah but all he context. did was break somebody's hands and this man right. is out here murdering women with right. impunity and so in juxtaposition it's like his father who in a moment of rage and anger after a potential lifetime of economic struggle and crushing crushing the weight of living essentially lashes out and then his life is basically ruined like he is probably going to go to prison for several years at least and might never be able to go back to the life that he had managed to carve up for himself. And now his son sort of has to pick up the pieces from that because his he mother- did say has- it was going to be 16 or 18 months, but he did have to sell the cow. So right. I mean, it's not coming back to anything. No. And so then like the rage that you feel that there's this other man who is just able to <laughs> flaunt all the sort of other rules- and like the scene where he's smoking pot, where they come over to his house and he's brought like drinks and food, but then also pot. Mm-hmm. He's like committing a crime. And I don't actually care about the fact of committing a crime for pot. But in this case, it's that he is able to just not have to worry about it. Like, let's say he were to get caught for pot. Mm-hmm. One would be unlikely Two, he'd be able to form the best lawyers in the world and not even have to worry about it. And so just like the juxtaposition there of like his father going away for committing an illegal act. And here's this man who can just Mm -hmm. stroll through life. I just can. He says it to his face. Right. He's so aware of it and open. He says to him that that they're the same to him, burning this pot and burning down these greenhouses Mm -hmm. that, that it's, it's sure it's a crime. It's a clear crime, but nobody cares. Mm -hmm. And he, he makes it, so obvious to the guy like he allows him to come into his house and walk around and to find this cat and he knows that he knew the girl 
Mm-hmm. So to a certain degree, he doesn't care that he's, he's so arrogant. Out he can get away else. from it. Yeah, exactly. And that's why he has to kill him. He well, that's the interesting to. thing because we're getting to the end because the end scene absolutely is a really like painful but like very effective ending where he calls him out to the middle of nowhere and says, "Oh, we want to talk to you." And he shows up and is like, "Oh, where is she?" Which kind of threw me because if he had taken her away why would he show up why would that lure him out but i think the the explanation that's the most thematically interesting is that he's so arrogant that he never even thought anything would catch up with him mm-hmm. that he'd almost deluded himself into thinking he was invulnerable Absolutely. So when he finally is attacked and that shatters away it's the first time we see him and he does such a great job in the scene where it's like panic but then trying to escape which we know is futile to then embracing him yeah it's fully orgasmic because he's feeling something (laughs) right and it was that his life had been so boring because of his wealth which is like such a weird way of doing things and his condition he's a sociopath that too (laughs) but i think the wealth feeds it where it's like when he first asks him what he does he just says i play Mm -hmm. and it's because he's never had to worry about anything and that's a terrifying prospect in itself where it's like a rich person who has no meaning in life determines that their meaning in life will be to mess with poor people and ridicule mm-hmm. them and destroy their lives for his own entertainment and that it, it was, hobby, and that doing so is just like nature right doing and so it's like literally natural he's justified it in a way that is so he backwards. also calls himself a god it's it's several yeah. points yes he's very very delusional but in a way where he is his own downfall And that's why I think the class thing is interesting because we always assume that for one, sociopathic people are always super genius and smart. That's how they get away with it. When the reality is he's just targeting people that no one cares about. Yeah. And he's just rich. And that rich people are also smart when it's like, no, the richness has given him all the means and opportunity to do this. He doesn't have to be a genius. He just has all the tools at his disposal Mm -hmm. and a society built for him to get away with it. So when there's finally someone who like sees what's happening he still assumes he can get out of it. There's nothing that would happen in that situation. And he probably would have, except that the other person also has realized this, that you will get away with it. So there's no point in calling somebody to come help. He has to take the matter into his own hands. I just hate that that man enjoyed dying so much. Stephen Ewan did a great right. job making me hate him because I did. I hated him. And it was it was a beautiful moment that was so much also, so much also like Parasite for me where I was worried Throughout the movie, I was like, wow, this guy might survive this movie. I was upset thinking about it because I didn't think he was going to die. I had no reason to think that. And I was like, that sucks. Because in Parasite, we got to the end. At least we got to kill him. And then we did. I think and the I ending, excited. though, and I'm, I'm not, this is not a you thing. Because I think there are more thematic comparisons between this and Parasite. But there was like some uh, publication this past week that compared a recent like science fiction movie in space and they called it like parasite in space i was like okay hold on well (laughs) just because both movies feature korean actors does not mean that they are remotely the same there's a wide variety of genres and other films that you could have made the comparison to which i already think is silly because movies are their own distinct things they draw influence from other works but Parasite in Space just felt like a clickbait title and I hated it. For sure. I have to see it. But also, <laughs> I need to know first if right. they're wrong and how wrong they are. I think they're um, wrong, no matter what. Because like what, what Parasite was, was 
for one, a lot more funny than this movie. This movie has no oh, jokes. Yeah, no, I mean, I There's honestly, like jokes, I didn't but... find them I, either of them funny. But I think it is because of this knot, <laughs> this knot that builds in my stomach where I can't, I can't stop to relax to laugh at the jokes because the entire time I am stressed because I know something bad is going to happen. Oh, for just, sure. One of the, and both of them sort of just create this build where you have these rich people who can do whatever they whatever want. Whatever they want, yeah with these people's lives that they just hold their lives in their hands and they just sit around and they laugh at them the audacity (laughs) and they just think these people are below them and this moment where they they make themselves vulnerable even though they think their money is protecting them and they get themselves stabbed Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i just I'm happy that they both end this way because it is so frustrating to watch these characters who are of a lower class be so terribly Mm self-aware while these rich people have the luxury of being aloof, being Mm -hmm. genuinely, truly aloof. Mm -hmm. Because at no point are they ever in the same place with that you always have these rich characters that aren't paying attention to the plot that's building around them even though they're at the center of it (laughs) they don't see it happening they don't see the pieces falling falling into place because they think that today is like every other day and every other day they get away with what they're doing because it's not just falling into place it's falling into place right above their head exactly and it and they just they just think ah i'm just gonna i've always been fine walk away it'll be fine right I think the difference is because I definitely feel that same not intention is that this movie feels more like a novel and how it builds because there's a lot of moments that feel on cinematic. And I mean that in the best way possible in that there's a lot of routine day to day of him just mm-hmm. running and looking at things and around his own home because he's very isolated. And I think that character development is very interesting. And I think that's what kind of lets him see clearly in some ways i'm not saying like you shouldn't have social connections but he doesn't have anything else mm-hmm. he really sees that his mother has left him because the scene with the mother is incredibly painful where she comes back and just like doesn't care yeah, and his father is away and it's that there's this very different family dynamic than in a movie like parasite where they all are sort of like scheming to survive True. together but They're at least they together. have each other he has no one and so the one person this one person who disappears right and the one person he knows and began to form a connection with and may even have loved which is kind of back and forth because i don't know if when he says it he really did or if he was drunk and kind of in his feelings because then also he just did a lot of jacking off alone in her room so right (laughs) how how effective could it be he's a very like i think troubled person and we don't see a lot of his background in the military but that is referenced several times and he just doesn't see that many prospects for himself and i think that's what makes the ending cathartic but still him driving away it is almost like he still doesn't have anything like the fundamental and he's naked not just that he's He's also literally naked right his (laughs) the vulnerability that this has created for him to be truly disconnected from the world Right. Because it, in killing this man, he's really killing the last person he does have a connection to. Mm-hmm. There's no one else he knows, no one else he'd even be spending time with. 
And it was something that brought him a lot of purpose too, because okay. there's the interesting scene where he goes to apply for a job and then just walks out. Yeah. And there's part like, of it that it. like literally in the story, you could say, oh, it is because it is too far of a commute and he doesn't want to do this backbreaking work. But I think it is also that he has this burning thought at the back of his mind about this person and mm -hmm. all this unfinished work to do. Yeah. And that this is going to take too much time because I actually think he's from a town that is in within a reasonable commute. So mm -hmm. I think the first guy that they asked him what town he was from and if he was willing to work late and weekends or something like that. And mm -hmm. that he just, I think realizing that even if he says yes to this commute question, he knows what the next question is be was going to be. And he doesn't have this kind of time. Mm -hmm. He's got stuff that he needs to be doing with his time, like finding his missing girlfriend, not girlfriend. Who he, the last thing he said to her was that she seemed like a whore. Right, which is an also interesting thing because it was after he had said that he loved her. And then he says an incredibly hurtful thing, seemingly out of nowhere. And I, mean, I think... He does the same thing when he's a kid, though. Because right. he saves her from this well and then tells her that she's ugly. Which is that he hasn't really matured. He is still very much... I don't want to say a boy because that feels reductive, but he is still very much struggling to grow into Child. manhood and what the world is yeah he he still hasn't had any sort of i would say guidance partially but i think he also just hasn't had any sort of real stake in what's going on that he doesn't feel connected to a lot of things and i think that aimlessness is something where he almost feels a similarity to stephen young's character but they obviously are in vastly different social economic situations mm -hmm. but it just makes all their dynamics so interesting. And especially because Stephen Young's character begins reading Faulkner. Mm -hmm. And obviously Gadsby is it's it's as if who's the who's the character in Gadsby that the story is told from, where it's not Gadsby but the guy Tom. who's looking. It's Tom. It's as if Tom killed Gadsby. Mm -hmm. That is what this feels like in many ways. And that may because I still think this is obviously a very different story and basically all their mechanics of it. But it's as if that was the conclusion of the book. And I it's think not that's Tom. What, what is it? I don't remember. I oh my God. Gatsby Tom Buchanan is Daisy's husband. Oh, Jesus. How did I forget his name? I don't remember his name at all. I, just I know, know that he's... he's Daisy's cousin. He is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's Daisy's cousin. And Nick, Nick Carraway. Nick. There it is. And and Stephen Young's character is definitely referenced to be Gadsby like, I think, at least once. If he isn't, he very much feels like that. And the fact that it's brought back a couple different times. And so Nick feeling like this intense attachment to him, I, I almost think the book he's writing, because we don't see a lot of it, the book he's writing might be about him. Mm -hmm. That I his observations so. of him are not just to like find him and trap him, but for material. Mm -hmm. and for, I mean, that's what he tells him to do. Right. To write and about I think, him. But I think the book he's writing is very different than the book he would want to be written about. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. <laughs> but he's, I, he will but see him for what time, he really is. At the same time, I'm not sure. Um, I think I because think... because he tells him at the beginning that he's going to tell him about himself and that mm -hmm. he should write about it. And there's nothing else interesting about this man. Mm -hmm. He doesn't do anything else except court women and then murder them. He makes pasta. And he makes pasta as an offering to himself. Right. Um, but to a certain degree, I think he he wants to be caught. Like he leaves a trail of breadcrumbs to a man who he knows is a writer. Mm -hmm. 
and asks him to write about him. Like, and he I flaunts that, some of these things, the cat ab- being the biggest. Mm-hmm, the, yeah, definitely. He didn't need to keep this cat. No. And he keeps and like a trophy when, case. These are yeah. things that somebody who wants to be caught does. The trophy case might have been different that he didn't think he would look there. But the way the cat sequence plays out where he's able to get the cat and he says something to him that is like, oh, interesting. Like you must have a way with, or like something that like gets at that he it's like both. It's the great moment where like both of them know that the other mm-hmm. person kind of knows. knows, but neither of them is directly confronting it. Mm-hmm. It's so good. He's this might be in some ways my favorite performance from him because I, I almost oh. forget it's him a lot. I, I think movies. playing a good villain as somebody who has been so regularly lovable <laughs> um, is a real show of talent. It's, I thought it was an amazing performance, even if he's just playing somebody who doesn't have emotions. He, I, I hate the guy for a while when I wasn't sure whether or not she'd made herself disappear or if he'd been murdered. I couldn't figure out if I thought that he killed her because I really thought that or because I just really hated his guts. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's that's its own talent to make somebody that to create a character that people hate so much they want you to be guilty (laughs) because you deserve to be i think it also is that his charm is a shield in some ways and that he still embodies some of that slick like i wouldn't say funny but he's like witty in a snarky way and like everyone will be like oh you're so like quick but it's like more than he's just an asshole. Yeah, I was like, I don't even feel like that's true. I just feel like he's. That's why I said witty and snarky yeah. because I don't think it's like genuinely funny. I think he just can like get away with these things, and people are he's like, just "Oh, handsome. he's yeah. handsome in a Porsche." How <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to get away with murder? Be handsome in a Porsche. <laughs> it's it's really good, and I would genuinely recommend it. It's like it's it's long. But I think, again, the way it unfolds is much like a novel where it's just slowly building up that you're really in it for a lot of it. Do you have any closing thoughts on Burning? I think it's... I don't think you see a lot of really fantastic murder mysteries these days. I think it's really hard to make a good murder mystery, especially without making it too funny. Mm -hmm. Where it's you almost know, like, like a, have... a, a like caper kind of feeling. Yeah, exactly. You like knives out, like it's fun and bouncy and colorful. And this is this is different. This is a movie that really tells you about a murder in a way that is eerie, but without being graphic mm-hmm. for most of the movie. So to the point where when it gets graphic, you're sort of left thinking about all the things that you didn't see, and you have this sort of ending where he brings this makeup to this girl's house and is doing her makeup. And he's had that makeup box there for a while. And you wonder if this is part of his process, so exactly what this moment is. And it reminds you even more so of all the things that you didn't see. Like you don't know how this girl died. You don't know if it was something that was very violent or, or gentle, or you don't, you have no idea. And you realize you've been watching this long film and following this one man's story and the person that it's really about, you know, this other main character is eerie and looming, but without having been on screen all the time, Mm -hmm. doing most of his sinister business off screen. That's really interesting to me. He did a fantastic job and the contact scene was really creepy. Mm Mm-hmm. 
what kind yeah. of person just puts in contact straight face like that that's disgusting <laughs> the only thing i'll add is like that all of that is what makes it a absolute masterclass in atmosphere for me where everything is like so particular that there's like no one scene that i would like cut out and like everything is just building so precisely to this like razor sharp tension that i i would highly recommend it maybe more than any of the movies we've discussed on this podcast maybe ever i definitely it's one of those movies that i'm have to tell other people about and a lot of other people I'm like oh have you seen this uh, yeah I hadn't even heard of it till like uh, two days ago but we <laughs> you need to watch it it needs to be seen and I'm surprised that I hadn't heard more things about it sooner yeah it had at one time had been Oscar it at one time had been I think either submitted or considered for submission for an Oscar but it either hmm. didn't get it or didn't get submitted it I think it should have been. I think it was yeah. really, really phenomenal. It's on Netflix now if people would want to see it absolutely. or or buy it. Support yeah. it. It's really it absolutely physical painful. media of it because it's one of those <laughs> ones that you can like see. And then from when I saw it just a couple of years ago, I see it through very different eyes. And I think like there's little things that I pick up on that I didn't pick up on that yeah. first time through. Definitely seems like a movie to be rewatched, not to mention there's a weird scene at the beginning where they're talking on the news about the Trump presidency. So mm-hmm. it's also got a little timestamp on it that is incredibly nauseating. <laughs> what a terrible time to be alive. <laughs> and he's like not paying attention to it too. It's just background. Yeah, it's just background. And I was like, wait, what are they saying? Did they say something good about Donald? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I didn't like that at all. Oh yeah. Ugh. Do you have any um, other closing thoughts? I know yeah, I just I asked really that. enjoy him as an actor. I definitely would like to see him in a quality main character role. Mm-hmm. Um, because I definitely think the films got progressively better. Mm-hmm. Whether that's him being more discerning or people offering him better roles, not sure. But even still, he's still a supporting character in all of these films. So well even, even though burning is the closest where it right. really is about him but it's not <laughs> he's very influential in it it is yeah he's he's a amazing supporting character <laughs> but i would like to see him be a main character well i have a treat for you oh he's got good news what do part we of, have part of the reason i had suggested this a while back is that there's a movie that comes out, out. tomorrow when we're recording this, but for today, when everyone's been listening to it, and it's Minari, and it's the new film from A24, and it's a family drama, and I mean that in the best way possible, where it's Stephen Yun is this patriarch of this family who decides to take all of them to this very small farm in Arkansas in 1980s to start fresh. They've been living in I think California is referenced a lot and then sometimes in Seattle getting by but not really having the American dream that they were hoping to have when they came here. And so they moved to this farm and he calls it their Garden of Eden and he's bought this land that no one's wanted. And it's just him and this family trying to make a living for themselves. And it's really, really interesting because of, and I think there was this great review that I read that I was able to touch on a little bit, but not a lot, where it looks at the American dream and really dives deep into for whom is that dream for and how achievable is it really? Because it's a very heartfelt movie where you're feeling very 
joyous with this family together but there's a lot of darkness in it where they're teetering on the precipice of going broke of economic disaster and all their sacrifices being for nothing but it's really really phenomenal i would say he's the main character in some ways he's driving a lot of the force but a lot of it is seen through the kids eyes they are more the focal point but by looking at their parents and the parents sort of fighting over all these different things is what makes it really interesting. There's the scene where the parents are fighting because they're stressed about whether they're going to be able to make this work. And both the kids come in with paper airplanes that they've written don't fight on. And they just start throwing it at their parents. (laughs) And there's just little details like that that are really, really interesting to me. There have been some people who've kind of come out today who have been saying that the kids being too much of the focus, you almost wish you could see more of the parents. And I definitely feel that because both of the parents are phenomenal and there's a grandmother who's also a scene stealer and everything she's in. Um, But I think it being through youthful eyes is what makes it interesting because it's as much about the parents realizing that there's not sort of this American dream to be grasped so easily. And then the kids also realizing that there is much about their parents that are not perfect, that there's these struggles and flaws and that the weight on their shoulders takes a toll and I think it's really, really good. And I would I would highly recommend it. It's called Minari. And it's out today. It's really, really good. The music is also phenomenal. If you saw The Last Black Man in San Francisco, it's the same okay. composer from that. And that's how he met the director was through that. And I was like, oh, this is so good. <sighs> the Last Black Man in San Francisco. The opening scene and the score and the way that complements it is like so great. And there's nothing quite like as bombastic as that this is a little bit more subtle it's very contained to just this farm the the like large scoping uh, city of san francisco is like completely the opposite of this where it's like a very sort of isolated away from sprawling metropolitan but that's what kind of makes it feel very intimate and interesting yeah oh it's so good i don't know i i would recommend it i think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on the only thing I'll sort of add, the small criticisms, and I'm not going to go after anyone in particular, a film like this doesn't have to be universal. And I think there's an interesting thing where people will ask certain directors, specifically non-white directors, to make a film that is universal, when I think that defeats the purpose of movies. It's seeing into films and experiences that are not your own. And for sure, seeing parts and things that you can connect to but also experiencing things that you haven't. Mm-hmm. And so I think the areas that people might not connect with, if it's if it's for feelings like the storytelling is bad for sure, but if it's like, oh, that's different. I've never experienced that. That's what that's I what like in movies. And that's what movies are supposed to do. It's to introduce you to people who have lived different lives than you. If you watched a movie that was just your life every day, that'd be boring as hell. I mean, I think... people liked that for a long time. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> they really want to see the spitting image of themselves in their films, but... Yes, that's fair. But I think this is one of those movies that certainly takes you to places where you can connect and empathize and feel, but then also experience their world completely and be a part of it. The sort of Roger Ebert quote of movies being a machine for empathy where you're being able to see the world through their eyes, specifically a lot of their kids' eyes growing up, to where I'm like, oh, I see things in this where I, too, had those fears and anxieties as a kid, but in an entirely different world, in an entirely different way. And I think that's what makes it great. All the acting's great. 
Stephen Young is great. I think he should get more recognition. He's gotten a few awards. It's really, really stupid that this is being considered for best foreign language at the Golden Globes. Golden Globes are trash. I understand the need for sort of a best foreign language film because I don't think all the great work should be shut out. But this is a distinctly American film. And when a movie like Inglorious Bastards got a best picture nomination, despite being, geez, probably more than this movie is in Korean, that movie was in German. And this is set in Wyoming, and it's about an immigrant experience coming to America. Bad choice. It's a great movie. Screw those awards. I would highly recommend it. That's it. I know I said I was just going to briefly do it, but it's really good. <laughs> the only other one I would reference that I'm not going to talk about, because I was going to see if we could talk about it next week, Judas and the Black Messiah also comes out today. I would say see it. I think it's deserving of a long discussion. And I would want to give it that and not sort of truncate it because I think it is worth seeing, but there's a lot to talk about. And there was a specific review in Vulture from a really, really good film critic that I think would be one I would want to dive into. And I wouldn't want to just be in like two minutes. I think it would be something that we both should talk about next week because I'd seen it at Sundance, but I want everyone to be able to see it, reflect on it. And then next week, would you like to talk about it? Yeah, sure. Okay. It's it's still good. I still think there's a lot of interesting things it does in it, but there's a lot of discussion to be had about Hollywood taking on a story like Fred Hampton and the work he did and whether that can be fully encapsulated in a film and whether it has to be watered down for sort of a mainstream audience. But I think you should see it. I think it's going to be the movie a lot of people are talking about because of what it tries to do, even if it's not always successful. Well, I have no closing thoughts. So uh, thank you all for listening to us today, for being on the other end. And uh, we will talk to you guys next week. Talk to you guys next week. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Yeah, just be well. Bye all. Bye, guys.